This episode of With Love and Justice for All is brought to you by Bliss Books and Wine. Bliss Books and Wine is an independent Black-owned bookstore for wine enthusiasts and book lovers. It's listed as one of the Black-owned bookstores in America that amplify the best in literature by OprahDaily.com. Bliss Books and Wine is your go-to for all your favorite titles, including eBooks and audiobooks. When we buy from Black-owned businesses, we help create a world of racial equity. So when you're ordering online, use the code 846BOOK for a 10% discount. That's 846-B-O-O-K for a 10% discount at Bliss Books and Wine. Exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Welcome to uh, our podcast with love and justice for all. Uh, today, I am have the, uh, the pleasure and the privilege of having uh, Reverend Dr. Raymond Anderson back again. If you recall a week or two ago, he was with me on our Instagram live. And we were talking about intersectionality in terms of ableism and, and LGBTQ, um, the intersectionality of race and, and ableism and um gender identity and sexual expression. Today, on um, with Love and Justice for All, we uh, are talking about May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So um, my partner in crime and consciousness, Reverend Ogan Holder, and I'm Reverend Kelly Isla, and Ogan was not able to be here today because of a family emergency. Ray has uh, graciously stepped in again and really couldn't think of, again, anyone more perfect to join me. Other than Ogan, Ogan being the perfect, you know, right, right. yeah, I got in trouble for the last time because I made a joke about <laughs> perfect. So <laughs> welcome to With Love and Justice for All. And, and here in our podcast, we have conversations around embodied anti-racism, uh, dismantling oppression, and especially the challenges that arise as spiritual seekers and within spiritual communities. So if you would like to join the conversation you, we are actually right now streaming live to Facebook. So you can go to, um, if you're watching live right now, you can find us on at Get Our Holy On. Um, but because we're live streaming, the video will live on our Facebook page. And you can also always um, find us on Instagram, same handle, at Get Our Holy On. And then on our website, projectsanctus.com, sign up for our newsletter, see events and things that are going on, which I'll circle back to. Uh, at the end, because I really want to get to talking about May as Mental Health Mental Health Awareness Month, and within the context of you know caring for ourselves, but how what is mental health or lack thereof, or you know what does it look like within bodies of culture, people of color, um, because there are like pretty much everything else in our country are disparities when it comes to white bodies and bodies of culture. So um, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, nearly one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness. Holy crap, one in five. It's a lot. What did, And what did you just say about that before we came live? <laughs> I want to say that now. So uh, wherever your church is, wherever your center is, just know that if there are 10 people in that pew, in that row with you, there's a small handful of other folks right there that have this experience of some mental health issue. 
Well, I didn't really, I didn't do a very good job of introducing you, Ray. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, you know, COVID brain, I'm yeah, hopping <laughs> around like Julie, the cruise director, right? <laughs> Just jumping around. But uh, so one of the, one of the reasons why I thought, you, you know, be a wonderful addition to the show is that, you know, one Reverend doctor. So you're, um, you, you know, have education, not just the lived experience of in spiritual communities. And uh, I'm going to guess been challenged a time or two with your own mental health, Um, you know, being in, in a church community and also being, you know, educated in mental health. And a lot of your work is um, that the divine expresses itself as you African-American, Latinx, Caucasian, Asian Pacific Islander, deaf, hearing, straight, LGBTQ+, mm-hmm. differently able, Democrat, Republican, independent, and, 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 yep. and neurodivergent, and mm-hmm. in mental health, mm-hmm. mental illness, mm-hmm. um, that the divine expresses itself. And I, this is May, is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I think there's, I myself, have have a severe depression disorder. So one of the things that has been most challenging about it is that idea of the divine expressing itself or not. Oh, trust, trust. I I feel you on it. Like, uh, so my background growing up in a very abusive, alcoholic, uh, drug riddled home and just a whole bunch of stuff, people pleasing, codependency, all of that, suicidal ideations, like all of that stuff is part of my background and growing up. And so at that time, being a Christian, like I was a regular fundamental conservative, believe that Christian, the pain of whatever I was going through mental illness wise, depression and all that stuff. It made sense because I'm a sinner and I'm supposed to suffer. So I interpreted that as the reason I'm depressed. The reason this is my experience is because it's evidence that I'm not worthy and I need Jesus to be my antidepressant. Wow. Wait, then, wait, say right. that all again. Like, I don't I don't know that I've ever heard it. This Jesus described that way. Yeah. I mean, like Jesus is the cure all for yeah, that. Par- I mean, it makes sense. But for that paradigm of you know, consciousness related to Christianity, Jesus solves everything, whatever it is, go to Jesus, everything, go to Jesus. And if you weren't cured of it, but you accepted Jesus, then you'll be cured of it in heaven. And if you didn't accept Jesus, well, you got other things to worry about, hot coals and stuff, you know, in, yeah. So just that whole idea. And then I get over to new thought and it's, you do realize that you're whole, perfect, and complete. Oh, t- oh, oh, time out, time out, pump your brakes. Do you understand that I, I have depression? You're still whole, perfect, and complete. Oh, no, 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 pump your brakes. Did you not hear what I just said? I'm broken. I'm flawed. I have made many mistakes. I feel like my life is a mistake, and you're telling me that I am an incarnation of the divine. Yes, that's exactly what we're telling you. Oh, well, you're full of shit then. Because clearly. Yeah, you you got a messed up view of the divine. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I don't know how like years and years and years of like wrestling with this and extrapolating. Well, if this, then this. Well, wait a minute. What is that? Wait a minute. And just sitting with an idea for months 
before I could move to the next thing to get where I am now, where, yeah, I still feel pain and grief and all of that other stuff. And I'm no less divine. Yeah. I, that's, that is, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to find the words I'm searching for. So it's mental illness and, and we're going to, uh, dive a little bit more into, you know, some kind of definition of that because there's serious mental illness and there's, you know, mental illness and mm-hmm. disorders and, you mm-hmm. know, there's some differences in the language, but, um, it, there's just a huge stigma around it that, that you are broken. Yeah. Right. And I've, I've had that where not just broken, but irretrievably yep. permanently broken. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, when I like, if I had cancer, I would say I have cancer, not mm-hmm. I am cancer. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. with mental health, we say I am mentally ill, mm-hmm. not I have a mental illness. Right. I am depressed. Yes. Yeah. I am suicidal. Yeah. 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 Which is, I, I'm not trying to be like a, um, you know, a word Nazi or anything, mm-hmm. or like, you know, get. It's just it for me. It just shows how. We hold that in our mm-hmm. in our society, in our culture. Well, check this out, because this is another thing with that whole word thing is. So I, ru- I run into you at Starbucks or wherever. And I, 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 I something like what's up with Reverend Kelly, something. And I don't say in general, I don't say, hey, Reverend Kelly, how are you today? I say, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Yeah. What's wrong so often that's the idea. Teachers ask students, parents, ask, what's wrong with you today? What's your problem? Right. Why yeah. are you so sad when you have so much to be happy about? Right. So then the stigma of blaming comes in. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, um, yeah. Oh, gosh. Don't even get me down that road of blaming. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different topic, especially after this week with Roe v. Wade. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We do. It is. We. People do often hold it as as there's something I've done wrong that I that this is going on for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it, we within new thought circles and certainly within unity, there's the metaphysical malpractice that I see all the yes. time. Yes. Agreed. That you're not doing something right if you're not in the mindset of I, I am not broken. Right. If I don't have that thinking going on, if I'm not the words I'm using. Well, what are you holding in consciousness? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, yes, yes, yes. Very much so. Yes. And those, and that, those people need a high five in the face with a chair. <laughs> and and so so like our, our second step, because this ties in like directly with my my background and experience. So while people of color have rates of mental health disorders similar to whites, these disorders are more likely to last longer and result in more significant disability for people of color. And it tends to go untreated in those communities, because I remember the first time I went to therapy was as a result of being present when a cousin who was 10 at the time killed his mother's boyfriend. Because his mother's boyfriend was in the process of punching her and he threw a knife and the knife pierced the man in his armpit, punctured his lung and his heart. His mom pulled it out and he bled to death on the way to the hospital. Oh, my God. Messed me up. So after going to, you know, because they took all of us to jail and everything and questions and the whole nine yards. 
the depression that I was experiencing quadrupled a million fold. The, the, the suicidal ideations, all that tripled. So eventually I ended up having to, I was forced to go to therapy. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my parents. Mm. They thought I was missing. The first 48 hours that I was being observed, they thought I was staying the night over a friend's house. I didn't want anyone to know. So they didn't, they didn't because, even know you were in the hospital? Nope. Wow. Nope. nope. Not until they were like, okay, so observation is done, but we're, we're not releasing you. Well, why not? Because there's some serious stuff going other than the murder. We've uncovered there's some other stuff going. No, I'm fine. No, you're not. So I was there nine days, nine days of observation and talking and the whole nine yards till it clicked into me like. I do have some stuff. <laughs> Wait yeah. a minute. I do have a Pandora's box of demons and stuff that shadows and skeletons that I have pushed back into the closet that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just an overnight bag of stuff. It's no. like a steamer trunk. <laughs> that, right. That we've lugged behind. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't, I, I, you know, same kind of household that you don't talk about stuff. Yep. Just don't. Yeah. Uh, and even to this day, there are, you know, made lots of headway in my family, but you've, you know, you learn to navigate, you know, I'm willing to go anywhere and I have to navigate who's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Right. And, and not and not and actually not for my sake, but for their sake. Yeah. Um, and it's not about shame. It's just knowing, you know, like, you know, if it's a sibling or my mother or an uncle or something, what their capacity is um, in. I want to come back. How old were you at that time, that, that hospital? So that would have been the right between 18 and 19. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't even know what the verb, what the adjective is, but your brain isn't even done yet. Mm. <laughs> Not even close. Done yet. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so in that in that nine, nine days of going through that and then, you know, afterwards, they're like, yeah, you still need to go to outpatient. You still need to meet a therapist once a week. And I'm like, for how long? I'm not going to be able to keep this a secret but for so long. Right. And even when the family found out, what are you going to therapy for? I only told them the stuff related to the murder. Right. Because I knew they could grasp it. I didn't mention my being molested. I didn't mention my being gay. I didn't mention any of that because that would have been a whole different thing. And most of that, I wasn't even willing to bring forward once yeah. again because of the stigma related to it. Right. That for uh, people of color, for bodies of culture, that the that mental health disorders um, last longer and result in more significant disability mm -hmm. um, with there's some things in regards to teens, teenagers, uh, approximately 50 to 75 percent of youth that are in the juvenile justice system. Um, and it's interesting. I pause there because I have a new phrase for, you know, it's the um, criminal system, the legal criminal system. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. um, and mm -hmm. it, you know, just again, what's the language we're using, but 50 to 75% of youth within the, the juvenile justice system meet the criteria for mental health disorder, mm -hmm. 50 to 75% of youth. Wow. That's a lot. That is all. That is that's a lot. It's and, almost all. 
I mean, 75 percent, that's that's just about everybody, all of the youth who are within this system of you've done something that we deem criminal. And so we are going to lock you up. And 75 percent of you also meet this criteria. So wait a minute. If we could have prevented that, which we could have, if we were really it, like I tell people, the restorative justice movement idea, it's not restoring justice because based upon the way this country is formed, their justice didn't exist in the first place. Right. For real. But if we really, really in education, because I used to be a public school teacher, if we really taught to the individual child and not specifically to the state criteria says that you have to meet these benchmarks and do this. Then we bypass, we ignore all of these other things. We start labeling. Oh, well, that's the troubled child. And then right. we we pump that into the teacher for their ninth grade, 10th grade year. How many times does that kid hear? I'm the troubled child. Right. I'm a troublemaker before they take on that label and the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. In a, and and the education system is you know, mostly white teachers raised in white neighborhoods, suburban white neighborhoods, went to universities with white teachers. Like, so there's not even, there's beyond a lack of, you know, cultural understanding, beyond a lack. Don't, yeah. don't, it's, it says the education system is, is one of the most efficient ways to actually perpetuate racism. Yep. Which is it no shock that we have the, the concept of uh, the prison pipeline? Yes. Kindergarten yeah. to the penitentiary. It's yeah. not really a shock, especially with these numbers. Right. And so one of the other um, things that I that was that I found very disturbing was children, black children ages five to 12 were nearly twice that so the suicide rate for mm -hmm. black children age five to 12. So I had to pause there and think, what five year old is thinking of suicide? Mm -hmm. Right. That really just never mind the rest of the sentence I'm about to say. I just what at five that you're thinking of suicide. Yep. And I just heard a psychologist talking, you know, with the Smith family, Jada and them on the red table and they were saying this this idea of no one really wants to commit suicide no one really wants to die they want the pain to stop so to your point what five-year-old is in that much pain that that's their way to make the pain stop i'm gonna make a guess since that's 2018 that that found that the suicide rate of black children age five to 12 was nearly twice that of white children of the same age. I'm going to guess that now in 2022, having gone through a pandemic yep. and the surge of mental health yep. illness or lack of mental health or, um, you know, under diagnosis and not mental care, mental health care mm -hmm. is even worse than that. Mm -hmm. but I, I don't yeah. know that, but I'm going to mm -hmm. guess that. Okay, this is really depressing. <laughs> but I, um, I'm glad that we're talking about it because May is Mental Health Awareness uh, Month, and I, it doesn't, it doesn't change. It doesn't get better if you don't talk about it. Exactly, and I mean to to jump from that age range that you mentioned. So, 
uh, that was 2018. 2019, suicide was the second leading cause of death for Black and African Americans ages 15 to 24. Wow. For Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders, 15 to 24 was the suicide was the leading cause of death for them. Wow. So it's like, what's going on, first of all, within that age range, but then to that cultural and ethnic group, what's going on at that age range that makes this the second leading cause of death, which what's the first? And then, yeah, wow. Yeah. Those are phenomenal numbers. Like that's. Well, yeah. I don't I don't I don't know that we uh, I don't think we stop and think about it. I yeah. know. I think when you when you hear things like leading cause of death, you think of cancer, car yep. accident, heart yep. disease, et cetera. And these are 15 to 24 year olds. Yep. I mean, they haven't even lived life yet. Yeah. I mean, as you said, when when I was sharing my thing about, you know, that was between 18 and 19. Yeah, well, the thing that the, that organ that sits in your skull, it's still developing. Yeah. There's still so much more. And yet trauma, PTSD, all that stuff, age, no, like it doesn't age doesn't matter. You know, I don't I also want to make sure that we talk about how to. So what do we do about this? Right. right? And I want to talk about um just um, how me as an individual, because I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a, you know, I don't have a license, you know, for treating, right. you know, so what, what can I do? And I, I don't want to lose that. We'll come back to it. But I just okay. want to, for those, as you're listening, we will come to that. Um, I just, you know, want to make sure people, um, like, I don't want to lose someone, like, hang with us. Mm-hmm, and I, think, mm-hmm. I think you have to know how bad it is. So, so here's the the numbers around um, rates of depression and suicide. And, um, you know, and all we've talked about is depression for mental illness. We haven't even talked about schizophrenia and bipolar, bipolar one, bipolar two, you know, behavior disorders. And I mean, there's this, this range of what's um, psychiatric diagnoses um, and uh, largely, um, because of a lack of cultural understanding, you know, bodies of culture, um, indigenous, uh, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. largely get underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed. Yep. Right. Yeah. There's a, I was reading a, um, a study cause I, I'm, I'm working on decolonizing my classrooms, you know, okay. the, the spaces where I'm teaching and, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I so I was going through, there's this disruptive behavior policy for churches and, and other things that when you read through it, I'm like, Oh, this is so white. You know? <laughs> um, but these, you know, it's based on this, the white body is the norm and everything, you know, mm-hmm. deviates Deviant. from there. So, right. and, but anyway, so in my research, you know, really finding that how often something that's considered disruptive gets diagnosed as um, maybe, you know, a psychiatric disorder or, or a, you know, um, or something, a, a behavior disorder or a mental health issue. Um, when really, if you have a, a cultural understanding, then mm-hmm. uh, there's just different ways of being in the world, mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. ways of speaking. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that. Uh, and so anyway, so I was, as I was reading, it was, um, black children were being diagnosed with ADHD five times the rate of white children right. um, because there's this narrow definition of attention deficit hyperactivity. Right. And within there, 
Because, you know, one of the things I experienced, you know, being a public school teacher, talking with colleagues, it's very easy to not want to sit down with the parents or with Ray and really what's going on. Like, really, what's the problem? It's easier. Send them to the counselor, send them to a doctor, put them on medication. I don't care if they're a zombie because I need to teach my class. Yeah. Yeah. So it, for me, since I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, all that, um, I do have to, though, so my place is to, to, to educate myself and understand mm-hmm. cultural differences, understand right. language differences, you know, uh, and understand um, how even something like grief, how grief is is played out, how grief is handled, how grief is demonstrated mm-hmm. um, is very different in, you know, um, uh, Latin communities, yep. uh, Asian communities, yep. uh, African-American communities, white community, you know, pick, pick an mm-hmm. ethnic mm-hmm. community. It's, you know, Jewish, Italian, uh, but mm-hmm. we don't, we need to, so we need to pause and understand that, I think. Oh, That's one without thing a doubt. Do. Yeah, without a doubt. So I want to circle back to the healthcare that's not available. So we, what we know in our system is that health, mental health care is um, much less available to bodies of culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the COVID, the COVID years demonstrated that that, that the, the care isn't there, neither preventative nor reactive. It's not there for communities of color. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like why? Because uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that there's people listening that are like, well, <clears throat> you can go to the ER or go to your doctor like any white body does. <laughs> so and, and, that and this sounds is very simple and ignorant, but. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Because, I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. But. Because there's a there's a cultural aspect to that where and I'm going to speak from the experience, my experience as a black man growing up in the black family community, et cetera. There is the aspect culturally, whether it's overt and or covertly taught, don't trust the white hospital because it has been known to experiment, give syphilis, et cetera, simply for right. Like you're the guinea pig. So there's also that aspect of, yeah, I don't feel well, but so whether it's the financial aspect, whether it's the the cultural aspect, like there are various aspects to this where it impacts the community. But there's also, like you said, it's white schools, white teachers, white spaces. If I go to the doctor, because I've done this in the past where I wouldn't speak up and advocate for myself. And I didn't know it was a thing then. It's the assumption that because you're black, you have a higher tolerance for pain. So you're not given like so there's so much in there. But overall, the care isn't there with the same degree that it is for the white community. Like it's I don't know if it's it's not. So when you talk about the structure, the systemic structure that's in place. Black bodies don't make a difference. Like we're way down here in the in the structure of. So why are we going to invest monies into whether it's Affordable Care Act or why are we going to invest monies into this for these people 
when we, the politicians, the pharmaceutical company, et cetera, we don't, we don't really, we don't care. Mm. Like we, we, and based upon the evidence, yeah, you don't. So if you don't care about making sure vaccines are available right. for those communities, you're definitely not going to make sure that psychiatrists and therapists and counselors are available. Uh, I, I read on the, the, the website of the National Alliance of Mental Illness, um, which is a wonderful resource, NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org, um, for people to go learn more, especially around um, mental health in, for, um, uh, in, in regards to BIPOC communities. But I, I was reading somewhere on there that, um, that the stigma of um, mental health associated with mental illness is... Um, very high in for Black Americans. Has that been your experience? Very much so. I didn't, and to this day, since my mother has, you know, she died in 2020, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but when I was growing up, one of my brothers on a, some kind of drug binge started spilling all these family secrets about who in the family had been molested and who raped who and all this other stuff. And somewhere in there, he mentioned that my mother had had a miscarriage uh, the one, two, three, somewhere around between the fourth and the fifth. I'm number six, seven. I don't know how you count us. Right. But somewhere in there, like in child number three, four, there was a miscarriage. So fast forward many years, I write my second book and I mentioned this in my book. You don't do that with family, but I mentioned it in my book because I'm sharing me. My mother lit into me and said it was a lie and I need to retract it and all this other stuff. Wow. So is was it a lie that my brother made up and I've heard it from other family members or or is that one of those things you don't talk about? Because even when I brought up that I had been molested, my mother shut it down. Ah, ah. Wow. Talk about something else. No one may want to hear that. But mom, I'm trying to tell you, yeah, I said, don't nobody want to hear that. So whether it's the church, because the church is a big factor within the black community mm-hmm. and within the church, there are certain things culturally you don't talk about in church either. So that, yes, my well, experience yeah. is that stigma yeah. is very real. So there's mental illness, which would be something that's diagnosed right? Mm-hmm. That, that are often disorders like bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. you know, anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. You mentioned post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, and then there's schizophrenia. Right. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of other ones. There's, I think there's varying degrees of, uh, almost like varying degrees of stigma. Yeah. Like for me, uh, and I, you know, I have a severe major depressive disorder mm-hmm. um, and anxiety. And um, but if but and I've gotten much more comfortable saying it. I mean, here I am now spreading it out right. more. <clears throat> um, and I know it's really important to do that. And if I was schizophrenic, though, or if I was bipolar, I'm I'm not so in my own mind. And I already have a diagnosis. And mm-hmm. yet I find myself going I'm not sure would I be sharing that? You know, right. I, I don't right. know. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. But and I know we're going to you know talk about it, but I think this is part of what we do to 
heal it is to talk about it, to normalize the fact that, like you said at the beginning, one in five people, one in five has some form of mental health, something going on in their life. Yep. And then one in 20, it's a serious. Right. Okay. So in the same way that we can talk about weather and it's normal, and we can talk about, (laughs) depending on who you're talking to, one's religious beliefs and path, we should be able to talk about grief and sadness all in because those are somewhat normalized. But we need to be able to talk about that all the way through this vast spectrum of the vast spectrum of. So when someone says, yeah, I was diagnosed uh, with schizophrenia and blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, wh- how old were you? Well, I was X, Y, Z, age. Wow. So can I ask you some questions about like, is you are you OK to talk? About? It should be that normal. That we can simply talk about it rather than hide it away and make it some unseen thing. That's why these stats, they're shocking to us and we're willing to have the conversation. Imagine how many people out there feel, well, I'm in this alone. No one else knows. No one else. Clearly, we're ministers. Clearly, there are no other ministers who feel depressed. Clearly, there are no other ministers who because, you know, Reverend Ray said his mom died in 2020, but he seems to be fine. Well, yeah, but you don't you're not with me when I'm going through whatever it is in that moment of I'm driving and boom, there's a flashback. There's a memory. There's something and there's tears. Because it's still there. Right. You know, I think even the word illness, you know, that people get stuck on that. So. So even so, we've used the word mental health and mental health care, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I'm okay with mental health conditions mm-hmm. because there's some are mild and and don't necessarily interfere much with my living my life. Right. Others, you know, other conditions are really severe and require, like you talked about, some care that might yep. be a hospital, you know, yep. um, or medication or. Yep. And or therapy and or psychiatrists and or um, a variety. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which I want to come back to because I don't want to leave out the I keep saying I'm going to come back to and I don't know if I actually do. So you have to help me out. Okay, I guess. But the um, but spiritual care, like spiritual care, you know, spiritual practices, right, lend themselves to mental health care. Yes. But I wanted to. So what? Before we go there, I just, you know, one of the things from the NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness that you brought up, the the one in five adults experience mental illness and one in 20, it's severe. Mm -hmm. Um, The one in five is you, I know you said it earlier, like next time you're in a group of people, wherever you are, particularly in a spiritual community, whether you're on Zoom or in person, Mm -hmm. look around and every fifth person you know, okay, mental illness, mental Mm -hmm. mental condition, right? Mm -hmm. Like something is up, whether it's, you know, moving through large scale grief, it could be something that's temporary or something that's, you know, you navigate through for years or your whole life. I don't know. I think it's, it's that those, that number, the one in five to let you know, you're not alone. Right. So not alone. Right. Because it gives you the opportunity to ask for what you need because that's important 
Yes. And it gives me the opportunity if I'm looking at a group of people and counting one in five, if I'm one who's not been affected personally, like then when have I paused? Right. Right. Did I stop? Like you said earlier, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, what's going on? Like and find other ways to I've I actually um, have. I find it very effective. So here we'll go into some practices other than, you know, the medical care uh, to not to ask people. I, I work at it. Like, how are you doing? You know, or how are you feeling? Those, you know, it's good questions, but very often it's actually, I hate it when people ask me, how are you doing? Cause I don't have any idea how to answer it anymore. <laughs> if I didn't have any idea before COVID, I really have no idea now. <laughs> um uh, believing that we're slowly moving, you know, out of a pandemic. But I would rather, if someone knows me enough, like when when we, you know, connect, whether it's on Zoom, on the phone, or in person, to pause long enough to notice if there's something different, right? right? And to make a statement, not ask a question, because I find the question like can bring on anxiety. Right, right. Right. But to say, you seem a little quieter today than the last time we were together. And just make the statement, which gives me right. an opening. Right, 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 right. It's a good practice. It's a very powerful tool if we could get in this habit of, because it requires, if I'm going to make that statement to you, I have to pause and actually focus on you. Like, mm-hmm, get over myself mm-hmm. and focus on you, right? Mm-hmm. And and notice and how how are you coming to our space today right. compared to the last time? Right, right. And even if you, you know, and it might be, so I'm noticing that you seem really a lot lighter and, and you know, some more joy than the last time we talked. And mm-hmm. leave it at that and mm-hmm. see right. what emerges. Right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So what are, what are some other... Um, so what are some of the, I want to talk about some of the spiritual practices that also support mental health. So I think for me personally, one of the things that has helped me a great deal is getting to know me well enough to sort of do what you just described, but do it for myself. Mm. So when I, when, when I'm, can I identify what do I feel right now? Because sometimes there's something going on, like there may be tension in my shoulder. Mm. Well, it wasn't there yesterday. Why is it there now? Like, what's, well, like, what is going on? And then I realized I'm clenching my jaw. Okay, so tension, stress, something. And then I backtrack. Yeah. And then I find, oh, so that thing, like I'll give you a real quick, good example. So I went to a physical, uh, my physical exam, annual physical exam last week, and my blood pressure was a little elevated. And normally, as soon as I arrive, it's elevated. But, you know, that's the <laughs> well, stress of driving. Mine is like that all the time because look where I am. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So the stress of driving. But then I tell them, you know, take it a little bit later and it'll be down. Well, it wasn't down. And so she's talking about medication. I'm like, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But afterwards, it was on my mind. Why was my blood pressure high? Like, I don't do, she said, like, reduce the amount of salt. I don't put salt on anything. So, and I started playing in my mind, okay, what was going on in me that would have elevated that? And what popped up was 
the the nurse practitioner or, or whatever the young lady was when she started asking me, do you know what month it is? Do you know what year this is? They've never done that before. Uh-huh. And then she said, can you say the, the months of the year in reverse? And then it clicked into my mind. This is the same thing they did with my mother and how they diagnosed her with Alzheimer's. Oh. I'm at that age now where they're testing me for it. Wow. And there was stress. Yeah. There's the blood pressure. So yeah. for me, one of the one of my practices is get real present with myself. How well do I know me? Do I know me well enough to know what triggers me? Do I know me well enough to know when I'm feeling that grief of my mom died and my dad died and my family turned on me and all that stuff? I need to be alone. Do I know me in that moment well enough to say my self-care is I'm unplugging from everything. I'm going to the park to be alone for four hours. So just that level of awareness is an, is an amazing thing for me. And, and even that practice of learning to be self-aware, like that's a self-care practice. Even that you have to practice it. Amen. (laughs) Like just try it for two minutes. You know, I think so often in spiritual communities, I see people, you know, leap in and, well, I tried to meditate or whatever, you know, for 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Start with two minutes. Yes. Yeah. Right. 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 Our body, our brain has been literally conditioned and programmed for something else. Yes. To get her done, to be productive, to get her, you know, got to get on, got to get on. There's a list of things, you know. I have a yes. long and, it, list of and in our day of age, you know, how, how often do we owe? Yes. Yes. So we've conditioned ourselves that every three seconds I've got to check to see that I get an email, that I get a text message, do something from Twitter and then put it down and pick it right back up. So you're in meditation now and you're like, home Shanti, check your phone. <laughs> <laughs> home Shanti. Ah, and then you open your peek to see if there's yep. an alert. And yep. yeah, yep. Yep. So, so that two minutes. Yes. Just give yourself grace. Yep. Two minutes. Yes. Yeah. And there's even apps for it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you no, know, there's two two of my favorites are um insight meditation. Yes, app yes, yes. And and calm. C A L M. I love that. And I love calm because it it covers a wide, I think it's very um I just find very multicultural. You right. know, understanding different different doorways to right, right. to whatever being settled or grounded or centered, whatever that means for you, however that occurs. Because it's not always about close your eyes and go within. Right. For some people, that's absolutely terrorizing. Yes. So, yes. So even needing to, as as Ogan and I, you know, have used the word with Ogan, decolonizing our self care. Mm-hmm. Right. And what is it? That's part of the getting to know me, the self-care mm-hmm. and my mental health care is just pause, slow down. Right. 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 Just try it for two minutes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Your phone, use the timer on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> use the tools that you have available. Yes. Yeah. So so meditation is that um, has that did you. Were you one of these people that tried to jump in and do it for long stretches or? Yes, because my introduction to meditation was through martial arts. So, you know, yeah, it was jump in. You're supposed to meditate for an hour. 
And I did everything possible to fight against it and like daydreaming and whole nothing like, okay, that's this ain't working out, but I'm going to pretend I'm going to pretend breathe and pretend I'm getting a sandwich when this is done, breathe and pretend I'm going to the movies, breathe and pretend until eventually, I don't know what it was, but a martial arts teacher eventually said, okay, all I want you to do is sit down, take one inhale, one exhale, one, one inhale, one exhale, two, do that three times. And really be present with where your chest and your abdomen are rising and falling and what it feels like going through your, the air through your nostrils. like yeah. really be present to it. Yeah. And I did it. And she said, stop. Now describe it. And I described and she said that was meditation. And that was more impactful than that nonsense you were doing the other day. And right. I said, but, 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 but wait a minute, wait a minute. And then I sat with, I understood why I understood the difference. Yeah. So being mindful. Yep. You know, we do these um, every Thursday morning in Project Sanctus. We do our, you know, I do it. Uh, you can come to Zoom, but I live stream it. The embodied mm -hmm. anti-racist, the mindfulness practices. Mm -hmm. And they're not, um, I mean, you might call them meditative, but it's not, there's not these long silences, but there is a little bit of journeying and very often just pay attention to your breath. Yep. Yep. And also paying attention to other parts of the body, I, the, being mindful, even if it's just for a short period of time, if you can be in that practice, one of the things that for me, it impacts my mental health and, and gives me, expands my health and well-being mentally is is because it's a way to, I actually get a break from it. Yeah, right, right. Because there's mm -hmm. so much chatter about it. Yep. Yep. I mean, growing up for me, which I didn't know that's what it was then, but that's how I got involved in art. When my parents were fighting or something was going on in the house, art became the thing that put me in the zone where none of this other stuff was going on in that moment. It was just me, the pen and whatever was being put on paper. Right. And it's the same thing. That's a form of meditation. It's a form of putting all of you into that breath, all of you into the washing the dishes or whatever it is you're doing. Yes. yes Mindfulness. Yes. We, yeah, it's redefining self-care, redefining. It's, it's really that slow, slow the fuck down. Yeah. For real. For real. Yes. For real. Slowing down, like everything slowing down. I did uh, last week. I, on, I think it was, I think it was Saturday. I sent a um, a picture of a, a mandala that I had finished coloring, um, and um, I had I texted it to Ogan and I said, "Here's my productivity for the week." <laughs> <laughs> like this was all I managed to get done. I mean, there were a few other things, and so it was partially in jest and partially not. And right. I got this response of the clapping hands <laughs> because we are committed to slow down. Yeah. And if that's what I needed to do to, you know, to move mm -hmm. through the week, to move through whatever, you know, there's grief things going on. There's, yep. you know, depression going on. There's I, I'm I am well versed in the white body supremacy, cultural norms of production and perfection and get her done and urgency and just, you know, constantly. And I have to continually take myself out of that system. Yep. And every time I take myself out of the system, anxiety arises. So then I have to be with that. Yep. It's self-care's work, man. Yep. 
And that's why I tell. So anytime there's another murder, police sanctioned murder, and there's another hashtag. Oh, George Floyd hashtag. Oh, Breonna hashtag. Oh, hashtag. And I remind folks that every time you hear about the specifically black and brown folks, every time you hear it's it's re-triggering, it's re-traumatizing. Pump the brakes. Yeah. You don't just because the system says you need to be plugged into everything all the time. No, you don't. Pump the brakes. Slow down and tend to your needs. Yeah. Because if you don't, the way the system is structured, it will burn you up, burn you out, cremate you and kick your ashes to the curb and not even skip a beat. So you have to, for real, be mindful of what is my method of self-care? I live I live in a part of Chicago where I live in a part of Detroit, where I live in a part of Baltimore, where wherever you live, where there's a lot of violence, gun violence, whatever that is. What is your method of self-care when you're watching television with your children or whomever and you hear gunfire? Right. What do you do to tend to their needs, tend to your like what? Pump your brakes, breathe, be present, because if you don't, all you're doing is absorbing and absorbing. You don't even realize you're doing it until you crash. Right. Which was a little bit of my this past week for me in terms of part of what got so uh, energized and activated was this graft of overturning Roe versus Wade, which I have my own personal traumatic stories around it. Right, right. And all of that just came up and um, all the trauma behind it. And mm-hmm. uh, and I just was. Um, so what I did was I colored. Right. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. I really, I really want, um, you know, we're coming up on, on time to wrap it up and I really want to, um, I know while I may not have lots of money or, or financial resources at my disposal, I also know it's easier for me as a white body to access the medical care right. and, and mental health care that, you know, my, I know that I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have a mother who had, you know, some cash to help me get the treatments I needed. Right, right. Um, so here's a, this is just uh, the, I was in the hospital, the, the, actually the very first time I ever was in a, a hospital, a psychiatric hospital for the depression was, <laughs> I went in two days before Donald Trump was elected president. So I so in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I was in a psychiatric hospital when 45 got elected. That was probably the best place I could be. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Of course, you know, since then, you want to go back because it's just Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I knew what was coming, but I just have to. It's just seems ironic. But I also know that I was able to do that because of I don't have great health care insurance, but I have access. I've had access to it. I've been able to pay for it. So what? What would what about all these people that don't? And when I look at at I don't know what to say to communities, to bodies of culture and, and um, you know, communities that don't have the homeless, houseless. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and very marginalized. I I. I guess it's the yeah, speak up. Well, what I always, you know, tell folks is those of us who have because I remind folks. I have a certain degree of privilege. 
you know, because I'm not the stereotypical gay man. I cisgender, I pass for the the uh, heteronormative, whatever. So I have privilege how I can navigate. I'm also cisgender male, so I can navigate that toxic patriarchy thing. And I say all of us, whatever your privilege is, whatever it is, yeah. speak up and speak out. Ministers, speak from the pulpit. Wherever you have a voice, whatever that voice is, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, whatever it is, we have to advocate for those who don't. We have to be the, literally the 21st century Good Samaritan. We yeah. see the people laying on the ground and we see others walking around them and stepping over them. And our spiritual imperative has to be, I know that there are how many kids wanting to commit suicide? Right. Five years old? Oh, I, okay. Governor such and such of Maryland, D.C., Delaware, who have, as one of your constituents, what are you doing to provide for health care for seniors? health care and preventative care for people who have no house, for people in this community or that community. What are you doing? Tell me to my face. Don't send me an email. Right. I need to hear it because yeah. I need to know, do I put my vote somewhere else? Do I need to call someone else? What do I need to do? Tell me. So being able to advocate for that. And when you have people in your community who are in that position, what can you do as, you know, if I know I have a homeless person, a houseless person, you know, stationed right outside of my church, do right. I do something or do I call the police to have them removed because of how it looks to the front of the church? Yeah. Right. Let me invite you in. Open, welcoming and affirming. Come on in. Until Let's it's inconvenient. You. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm all for those of us who have privilege. Use it. I just, I just, it's one of those where I'm not hopeless. I just, sometimes I just feel stuck. And so I want anyone listening to, because I can't take on the whole system. Right, right. Right. So what do I do for my little corner of it? And I, right. and what you said is, uh, you know, as spiritual leaders, I don't, it's not just a, what we ought to be doing. I think we have a, a moral imperative. Yep. 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 To be speaking it. And just to, just to make sure this goes out there too, for those who may be the ones who are experiencing and going through whatever in that spectrum, whatever that is, find at least one person that you trust to have a conversation just to sit down and say, you know, I feel depressed and I trust you and I want to tell you about it. I don't know that I want to do anything else, but I do want to be able to say these words Right. To at least lessen that burden, find at least one person that you feel comfortable enough to open up and share whatever it is. Right. And and it's uh, I think COVID, you know, the past couple of more two plus years of COVID-19 really, really imperative to say something. Because yes. it's even easier to be shut behind. off. Yep. It's even easier to be shut off. There's a there was an article in New York Times the other day about um, because psychiatric services are in such short supply right. for adolescents. I mean, it's right. horrible. It's horrible for adults. Never mind adolescents, you know, teenagers. But in the New York Times, it was there's 
hundreds of suicidal teens sleep in emergency rooms yep. every single night. Yep. So there's part of me that's like, well, thank God, you know, they're in a place, but the yeah. fact that there's hundreds of them, hundreds mm-hmm. of suicidal teens. Right. So you, you say, so in my, in my particular city, there are, we'll say five hospitals, that's five ERs, put a hundred teens in it. That's 500 teens who are sleeping in an ER every night because the pain is so great. They want it to end by suicide. Right. Wow. And how many are not? And how many are not? Yeah. Which just brings me back to, you know, uh, if you're in a spiritual community, whatever community you're in, yeah. to pause and notice how people are being. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, once again, thank you. Thank you very much, Ray. Uh, always, always a pleasure. privilege, always very powerful, always engaging. Um, thank you for coming and having this conversation and sharing part of your own story with us. Um, um, you've been listening to With Love and Justice for All. We have lots going on. Um, <laughs> so go to projectsanctus.com and scroll down to the bottom and hit the subscribe button so you can stay in touch. I'm Reverend Kelly Isola. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All. This episode of With Love and Justice for All is brought to you by Bliss Books and Wine. Bliss Books and Wine is an independent Black-owned bookstore for wine enthusiasts and book lovers. It's listed as one of the Black-owned bookstores in America that amplify the best in literature by OprahDaily.com. When we buy from Black-owned businesses, we help create a world of racial equity. So when you're ordering online, use the code 846BOOK for a 10% discount. That's 846-B-O-O-K for a 10% discount at Bliss Books and Wine.